Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. If you're visiting with us, we are certainly glad to have you. And we ask that you uh, stay around long enough for us to get to know you better. We'd invite you to come back at any opportunity that you have. There is a friendship register on each pew. We'd like to get a record of everyone's attendance. So if you would sign that and pass it down to the others on your pew. You notice we have some uh, empty pews this morning. That's because we have about 45 of our ladies who are away on a ladies retreat in Pigeon Forge. They'll be driving back today and we'll pray for their safety. There's no uh, worship bulletin today, also linked to the ladies' retreat. Those that do that worship bulletin are on the ladies' retreat. But leading our singing will be Brother Bo, Bo Gross, uh, Brother Tommy Barragona will have our opening prayer, Brother Cameron Jumper, the scripture reading, and Brother Ken Forrest will have the lesson for us today. Would you bow with me as we enter into our worship service? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your blessings. We're thankful that we can start this new week in praise and worship to thee, and we pray that all we do is pleasing in your sight. We pray with, for the safety of those who will be traveling back today from the ladies' retreat. We Pray that they've been strengthened by this and that you'll give them safety on their journey home. And now, Father, we love you as we begin this worship service. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. First song this morning, number 578. <clears throat> we will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I am. Lord Jehovah reign. thankful to you that we have the opportunity to be here this morning to come and to worship you and we pray that as we enter into this worship time together that you will be with us and help us to better understand the things that you want us to do in this life father we're so thankful for this congregation for all of the many avenues that you have given us to reach out into the world 
And we pray that we'll have the faith to go through those doors that you're opening for us every day. Father, we pray for Brother Ken as he comes to bring the message this morning, that you'll be with him and help him to say the things that are needed at this time. Father, we pray for those of our number that are sick, those that are suffering, that you will be with them, that you will restore them to their health if it be your will. Always be with us and help us to do what's right in your sight. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to mark the invitation psalm in 927. 927. Psalm before our scripture reading this morning, number 881. <clears throat> if it's convenient for you, please stand as we sing this song. I'm satisfied with just God's reading this morning will be from Haggai 1 verse 6. Haggai 1 verse 6. I'll be reading from the New King James. Ye have sown so much and bring in little. Ye eat but do not have enough. Ye drink but are not filled with drink. And he who earns wages earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Good morning to everyone. It's great to see you and also to any of those who might be tuning in on our various social media 
outlets. We're thankful that you can be a part of our time of worship this morning. Listen, I want to I want to reemphasize something that I've said several times, and that is when when you recognize something in your life is not as it ought to be, you need to make that right as soon as possible. You don't have to wait until we have a worship service and agonize through a sermon and then the invitation song to make it known that you need to make adjustments in your life. You need, you need the Lord's forgiveness. You need our prayers. And I appreciate that there have been several recently who have taken advantage of that, not waiting for a certain moment in our service, but you're compelled to make changes as soon as possible, the, most, the earliest possible time. And we have one of those this morning. I was going through the audience, welcoming folks here, and uh, this precious lady gave me this note. to you 
for this first day of the week. We're thankful for what it represents to all of us who are striving to be faithful Christians. It's, it's our time to remember the death of our Savior and subsequently His resurrection and our salvation because, because He suffered and died and shed His blood for us. We rejoice in that as much as it pains us to think about that suffering, yet we know it was necessary and we're just we're overwhelmed with gratitude. We also come together as a family on the first day of the week to encourage and build one another up. And today we have one who has identified herself, who's really been struggling and you know about that struggle. Uh, she has been before you continually in prayer Father, we know that you hear and that you forgive, but she still feels the pain of her sin. And so she's come today in the hopes that all of us together in forgiveness will then in turn on her behalf, even if we're ones who've been offended, we come on her behalf today having forgiven her and asking your forgiveness too. Father, we know that you put these things behind you and you move on with us, but we struggle sometimes with the weight of our sin and about forgiveness. So I just pray, Lord, that today you'll help Mary Ellen to know that she has that and that she can leave here uh, feeling clean in your sight. Father, I I'm also pretty certain that there are some things that I'm going to say today that apply to a great many people. And it may be something that all of us struggle with to one degree or another. But Father, I pray that if we're in the grip of sin or we are in a terrible struggle right now with material things, I pray, Lord, that you will, that you will help us to realize that these things only cheapen our lives, and that we need to really put all our trust in you. Lord, please help me to communicate that, to say the words in the right way that will touch all of us and find its right place in us. And I certainly pray, Lord, that I'll not get in the way of your own word performing that task Lord, please just cut us so deep and so wide as to promote healing in us. Change us with your word. And thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Things are sown, but very little is reaped from it. We eat plenty, get our fill of drink, but all of a sudden it seems like it doesn't satisfy. We just have to eat and drink again. We buy clothes, latest fashions, and before you know it, they're worn out. It's like we just take our money, our treasure, and we put it in a bag that has holes in it. Literally, 
it seems like that there is never enough. There are three words that are very commonly conjugated in everybody's life. Every single day, over and over and over, these words are used in one form or another. To want, to have, to do. It's unfortunate, though, that the one verb that would really make the difference, the one verb that would bring peace and happiness to all of us is simply the verb to be. If only I could learn to be content and satisfied. If only I could just live in that moment where I stopped and thought, this is it. Everything's good. I don't want or need or have to be doing anything. I just want to be. Too many people are like Israel was of old. They're putting everything that they have in bags with holes in it. Now here's what I want to suggest to all of us. As we think about what I, what I just said and as that is keyed off of what was said in Haggai of all places so long ago. Let's, let's set our mind that that's how, it, that's how it used to be. And let's set a different course now. Let's, let's frame our lives around the idea of being instead of always in need of something. And in that vehicle, let's forget the past and then let's reach forward to the future. Let's move ahead, living in the moments and in the circumstances that God is providing for us. I believe it's possible that we can reach forward against what I'm going to stylize as materialism. Now, here's the thing about materialism. And that is that materialism, it creates a life for us that is cheap. A life that could be celebrated and, ex and exciting and fulfilling is cheapened when we are chasing after material things. Material things tend to blind us to what's real. In fact, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus said that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things possessed. Oftentimes, isn't that how we measure one another? The kind of job that we have kind of indicates the income that we have, and then the income indicates the lifestyle that we have, and then the lifestyle just indicates, we think, success. And so we are geared, especially in this nation, to think in terms of the monetary sum, the things that we possess as being the measure of a man. Jesus shot that down, didn't he? 
Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. You are not measured by your stuff, the accumulation of your things. In the same light, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So now we go beyond simply the definition of a person to the very thing that he is serving. What is it that I've committed myself to? Is the possession of things evidence of more than simply leaning on them? Perhaps it's evidence of my confidence in one thing or another. I'm trusting my things in order to preserve me. Jesus said, you can't give lip service to the Lord God of heaven and then at the same time be leaning on your things. It's got to be one or the other. God isn't going to share your observance of both. If there's commitment to the Lord, there's going to be 100% commitment. The things are incidental in regard to the commitment that we ought to be making to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, maybe even stretching it a little bit further. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, right there you get both sides of the argument, yes? On the one hand is, I have great possession. Well, is what you possess now worth losing your soul over? I would say, well, no. Well, then the question is, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Wait, wait, what? Because you've committed yourself to the things. You're saying that's what's important to me. I look at that text of scripture that deals with the very root of the problem, as was expressed here in the Old Testament setting, so too, Paul dwells on it here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 of verse 10. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's a root of it. It doesn't have to be the source, but when our attention is given over to things, to money, to the possession of stuff, well, it's the thing that we started out with. It is the thing that blinds us to the reality of our situation. The blindness is in the sense that I think I can serve both, and I, and I really can't. My commitment has to be to the Lord and not to the, not to the stuff. Our stuff, our material things are very transient. That means that they just, I don't know, they just, they just go. We, we lose... We lose attention. We lose our sense of, of what it is that we have. And it seems like the more that comes in, the more goes out. We become very careless with the way that we use things. So long ago in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23 and verse 5, Solomon expressed that very idea when he said, you know what? The money, the things that we possess, our material things, it's kind of like they just grow wings and then like eagles flying to the heavens, so go our dollars and cents. It's just like they grow little wings themselves and then they are gone. 
Jesus described it this way, at least the idea of the transient nature of things in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's my heart? Well, is, is it in those things that I have laid up in heaven? The, the spiritual mindedness, I made the decision to serve the Lord and there they go. I, I'm piling up treasure... No, he says, oftentimes the problem is that people are laying up their treasure on the earth. And don't you know that it's all going to be destroyed? It is only of a very tentative nature. Some things last longer than others, but there is always an expiration date. All of the things that we quote unquote possess are very transient. They go from place to place. Many times we have no idea where they went. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 again, verses 7 and 8, he says, we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we will carry nothing out. So having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Literally, we will be contented by these things if we're not constantly clamoring after more and more and more. It is like the picture that was painted. Yes, you put it in the bag but it just has holes in it, which brings us to the idea of material things just being, well, they're futile. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, again, the wise man reflecting, and, and by the way, not just the wisest man on earth, arguably the richest man on earth, now assessing the possession of things. And here's the conclusion that he makes in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 11. He says what it is, is, is we work with our hands. We're, we're out there laboring continually. And what do we have? He says every bit of that is vanity. It is a grasping after the wind. He says there is no profit under the sun. Profit in the sense of gain. I work and I work and I work to accumulate. But where is it? He says you can work your lifetime and accumulate nothing of lasting value. The thing you ought to be working for, the wise man says in Proverbs 22 and verse 1 is a good name. He says that, that is more valuable than a pile of money. In fact, he says that love in that sense favors more than silver and gold. A name that's precious, that is a lasting commodity and not at the stuff that many people lose the value of their name over. I thought that we would think of just how destructive the grabbing on to monetary things is. I'm going to just simply ask some questions, maybe a little bit of comment about it, but I'm just thinking that the nature of the questions, which of course apply to me too, ought to, I don't know, shake up some things in us. We're thinking about material things and their destructive nature. I, I'm wondering in the first place, like, is it, is it true in the, 
in the pressing for a successful business or in the work that you do. Maybe you even work for somebody, but you have, you have a job that you do. You're involved in some kind of activity. Do you do that business or that work, maybe even working more hours, going on lots of trips that are maybe even unnecessary? Are you involved in that to the neglect of your spiritual life? And that could be a lot of things. It could be that it draws me away from this precious Christian fellowship. Or maybe it, maybe it makes me so tired or I become lethargic because of the work that I do. just stressed out that I don't have time to study. I mean, maybe I've become very successful in my business and my work, but so neglectful of my spiritual life that I, I'm really ignorant of the things that I ought to be I ought to be so strong in. Is, is, that, is that a problem? Might be for you. Might be for me. I'm wondering about our children's education. I know there are places where, you know, I could, I could send my kids to a public setting or I could spend more money and put them in a private school. I, I want education for my children. When, when they get out of high school, I want them to have the very best education. But I, I'm all for that. I wanted the same for my children. But the question that I w- would ask about that is not really about the education per se, because I think we would all do the very best that our our abilities would present for their education. The question would be not the education itself, but how is it that that education that I'm working so hard for them to have, how is it being effective? What do you mean by that, Ken? Well, remember, we're serving two things here in this life, and I'm wondering if the education that I'm promoting in my children is designed to help them spiritually grow or or is it only solely completely designed to help them make a living someday you know what I mean the the things that I'm promoting to fill their heads is that going to help them spiritually because if I had the if I had the idea or the mindset that okay I'm going to send them off to this school or I'm going to get them this education, but there are going to be some things there that are going to really stress the limits of their spiritual capability. I'm not sure they'll be able to stand it, but I am sure that if they get this degree from this particular place, that it's going to help them get a great job. Am I majoring in the, you know, the spiritual nourishment or, or not? Maybe it's a wash. Maybe it doesn't matter. But Isn't that something that ought to be a part of the calculation just a little bit? How is this going to impact my children whom I'm responsible for in the long run? Or I know times are getting tough. I read in a publication just a few weeks ago that for the average family, it's costing nearly $500 more a month compared to the way it was last year. I mean, that's a serious pinch on the purse strings. I I get that. It isn't just now. There have been times in the past we can look to where there have been downturns in the economy. 
the housing market has gone sideways, gasoline has cost a lot. There, there have been times when that's happened, and maybe we could reference that too. But what I'm asking here now is not just how you react to that, because Many of us, we just buckle down. We don't spend on things maybe that we spent before we try to tighten up. But when that happens and you start looking at your budget, I'm asking what, what is the very first thing that you think to do? Do you think that, well, let's just get right to it. You think the contribution that you're giving that reflects your commitment based on the income that you have. You, you've purposed in your heart based on what's coming in. So when you look at the things that can be cut, do you decide, just being honest with yourself, do you decide, I, I'm not cutting this other stuff. So that church is doing okay. I'll just cut my contribution a little bit here and there. Is that the first thing we think of? I hope it isn't. I'm just throwing that question out there. That question's for you and, and for me. I'm wondering too, like when it comes to our commitment to things, the Lord is very specific about, you know, His his expectation in terms of our giving. For instance, here are some words that sometimes, I don't know, it seems like it gets under people's skin a little bit. Maybe even we get resentful. A lot of times when somebody announces now, such and such we're going to, we're going to be talking about giving and people are like, it's like we talk about giving all the time. We really don't, but we feel like it. It's like they're always asking for something. Okay, but when, when those times come, when that happens, and that, that resentment starts coming up. Who, who is that directed to? Because ultimately, it is the Lord who has asked us, no, 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 back up. He hasn't asked us to do it. His expectation of us is that we are going to give in a sacrificial sort of way. So if I'm... If I'm refusing to do that, it, it, isn't, it isn't that I am somehow showing the leadership of the church or somehow protesting this or that. I, that has nothing to do with it, not in the Lord's eyes. The Lord was in expectation of my sacrifice. So when I pull back of that, that, that is squarely on me and my attitude, especially if it was resentment. That's a danger of materialism. Material things, I love them so much, I'll even let them get in the way of the Lord's expectation of me as a steward. Lord, help it that that's not true of you or, or of me. I think sometimes, too, when we think about material things, there's quite a bit of deception there, deceiving. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 talks about that very thing, or the, uh, Matthew chapter 12 or 13 verse 22. That's in the, the story of the seed. The deceitfulness of sin. Matthew 13, 22. I get that. What's deceitful about it? Well, the deceitfulness about riches, sin, is that it promises things it can't give, like security. I think if I have enough money, I'm going to be okay. But 
your security isn't based on the amount of money that you have. And that certainly isn't true in terms of our spiritual security. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5 complements that idea when it talks about several different kinds of sins, but in the midst of it is covetousness. And he says that covetousness, along with several other sins, will keep us from receiving our inheritance in heaven, the kingdom of Christ and of God. Would I let, would I let things that certainly aren't permanent, would I let them stand in the way of eternal reward. God help us that that would not be true. But I'm just guessing that probably we all wrestle with that. So let's just say that we do. Let's say I wrestle with material things. I, I, this is a real struggle for me. You know, I want to serve God 100%, but I got a family to raise or I've got this career that I'm in. I've got a business and can as much as I want to be 100% committed. These things just eat me up. What can I do? How can I reach forward against materialism? Well, that, that's, that's what I want us to do. And listen, if you don't remember anything else about what I have to say concerning a solution, how to get it right, if you don't remember anything else that I have to say about it. Please remember this one thing. Always trust the Lord. Okay, I'm going to say it again because I just want to emphasize it so strongly and so deeply. No matter what, no matter what it is you think you see, no matter you think that it's all falling apart, no matter that you think you're going to be homeless and destitute. Number one, the faithful child of God. Never, ever, ever stop trusting the Lord. Trust the Lord. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither toil, uh, neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, say, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For Heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen to that last part. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Live in today. That's conjugating the idea of to be. We're in the moment of being. Let's just be. And in this moment, God, God is caring for me. 
God is taking care of me. You say, well, Ken, what about... Stop. Sufficient for the day. Sufficient for the day. Let's quit worrying about having and what we're going to be, the doing aspect. Let's forget about having so much. Let's think about just being. And let me just emphasize it again. Please don't miss this. Don't ever let go of this. Trust the Lord for it. If I'm going to serve one master, I'm going to serve the Lord. That means I'm not serving the, the mammon. I'm not serving the physical things, the material things. I'm not serving that. I'm not trying to feed that need. I just want to serve the Lord. When I serve the Lord, He is taking care of all the other things. I don't have to worry about that. I'm serving Him, not that other God. I'm serving the Lord. I trust the Lord for those provisions. If I would just put him first, how much better would it be? I should be in the expression of that, learning how to be really a faithful steward. I mean, there is a direct statement from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 that deals with that. It is expected, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. It, it isn't a suggestion, hey, uh, amongst all you stewards, I need a few of you, you know, to be really responsible with what I give you. That is the, the, the mechanism works when all of us are being responsible to what God has put in our hands. You know the story of the talents. You know the story of being the steward and the king going off and coming back and holding accountable those who had responsibilities. You know all about that. But the real application to it is that, okay, it isn't like he lined us all up. You came out of the waters of baptism, somebody handed you a package, and it said, ah, congratulations, you have five talents, so go use them. Or you have one. Or what? We, we didn't do that. I mean, that is, that is a self, that's self-examination and discovery. But once found and cultivated, I've now become responsible for something. Whatever it is, am I using that to God's glory? Whatever it is, he's put in my hands. Whether it is literal talents, sources, abilities, or whatnot. Whatever it is I have in my hands, what I can do, or the money that I have at my disposal. Whatever it is, am I committing that to the one thing that's important? That is serving the Lord. Be that, be that responsible steward. Say your mind... Not on the earth, which I think is what trips us up so much. But set your mind on heavenly things. Could we do that? Actually, it's another one of those expectations. Colossians chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, setting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does my life revolve around? He says, in examination ought to be the Lord and His work. Not, not stuff. And we ought to be contented. 
In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that text says that we're to be contented with such things as we have. And then he follows that by saying, in speaking for the Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Stop that right there. Usually we talk about that as an encouragement that no matter what I face, I can be strong because the Lord's by my side. And that is true. But here it's within the context of the potential for all of us to become covetous. And he says, don't do that. Be content with what you have. And remember that the Lord's right there by your side. So I should never have the mind that I'm going to be without or I'm going to be lacking. God is going to fulfill his promise if I will fulfill my responsibility in service to him. Sometimes maybe that is the source of our poverty. Not that we don't have enough money. Not that we have a bag with holes in it. But that we just simply are not committing ourselves to serving him. Maybe he's just seeing what it's like for us to do without. Whatever the case, I was thinking, what's your greatest possession? Boy, I've known in my lifetime some really wealthy people. I, my family and I stayed in the house of a guy. He, he was in the most, wow, just the most posh uh, um, fanciest dwelling I'd ever been in my life. His, his little house there was 10,000 square feet plus the pool outside and all of the grounds. And we just, we thought we were living like kings for that day. But all he could talk about was not that, which I thought was amazing. He was talking about his house that he owned over in Myrtle Beach, how amazing it was. I thought, wow, that's just a different level of thinking. Those are great possessions. I've known people when I'd go visit, and they'd say, hey, I want you to come here and see something. They'd take me to a three-car garage, and on the end of there, oh, it's under wraps. It's got this car cover on it. And I could tell it was a convertible to start with and pulled up that cover. And it, it looked like it, it wasn't at the time because it was, I mean, it was very old, but it looked like a brand new 1967 GT500 Shelby Mustang. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I've been in houses of intellectuals who collected books, and I didn't know the value of those books, but they would be behind a case, and they would thinking they're sharing with me their great possession. They'd open it and let me hold it. And I'm standing there dumbfounded. I have no idea what I'm holding. Come to find out that book is worth thousands of dollars. Wow. That's amazing. Those are some amazing possessions. But really the measure of a great possession is in its longevity. It's staying power. You say, well, the car was old at the time. The book was old. The houses, wow, but I'm reading about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says that the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. When the Lord 
When the Lord comes back, there's going to be a great sound and then the heavens and everything that exists on all the material stuff is going to melt. Mustang's not going to make it. The book's not going to make it. Two big houses, very beautifully appointed, they're not going to make it. Now you get all noble on me. You say, Ken, I don't put my value, my stake in physical things like that. I'll tell you my greatest possession is my health. I'm healthy and I'm thankful to God for it. But I will say the same for that. If you worship your health like it was some great possession, on that great day, physical things are going to be dissolved. And then what will you have? I would remind us of the importance of laying up our treasure in heaven. If we will lay our treasure in heaven and trust in the Lord... We can get beyond the material. We can reach forward against it to things that will never go away. Today, are you hung up on your stuff? Has it really created problems for you? It creates stress, doesn't it? It is stressful to maintain a certain financial level. It's, it's hard to do. Why don't you let go of that? Why don't you put your trust solely in the Lord? He will bless you as is necessary, but you will have something that no one can take away. Eternal in the heavens. There's anybody who needs to respond today? Now's your time to do it. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing?
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Lord's Supper, we'll sing the first and second verse, number 382. <clears throat> Why did my Savior come to
Supper emblem, ushers will, are coming around. This morning, as we clear our hearts and minds to partake of the Lord's Supper, I, I want you to think about how many times you've been asked the question, What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to have success or what are you willing to do to reach a certain goal? And then think about Jesus. And think about Jesus as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he's feeding the 5,000. And the whole time he knows what's at the end. And think about what he was willing to do. And just like Bo just led us in song, and I think I underestimate it sometimes, just how much... He loved us to go through what he went through on that cross, what he was willing to sacrifice so that we would have an opportunity for eternal life because that's the only chance we had. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this bread which represents the body of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary. Our prayer is that we partake it in a manner that's pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bow with me. Likewise, God, we thank you for this cup, which represents Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross. God, we ask that we partake of this in a manner that's pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the first day of the week, the Lord Church comes together. Part of that worship is our giving. And it's a 
dangerous as kid Ken mentioned earlier to talk about giving. Uh, there's probably been more preachers fired for lessons on giving than any other subject. But I'm not worried about it because you can't fire me this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple of verses, a couple of three verses I want us to think about. I, I can remember when I was a very young man hearing a preacher talk about uh, sometimes we were like hogs. We'd sit under an, or stand under an acorn tree all day long and eat acorns and never look up to see where they come from. And I know personally that's the way I am a lot of times. I receive all these blessings and I don't acknowledge where they came from. Psalms 150, verses 10 and 12. The psalmist says, For every beast of the field are mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. So everything that we see, everything that we have, actually belongs to God. In Galatians, the first chapter, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, Verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul reminds us that we were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When David went to uh, build the temple or, or gather material for the temple, the people responded, and they responded with everything that was needed for the temple. And in uh, 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, verses beginning with verse 9, it says, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. And King, King David prayed this prayer. He said, there, uh, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. You, O Lord, is, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. Your victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is also to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you. We praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things now come from you, and of, you, uh, of, of your own hand we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. So everything that we have actually comes from God. And when we give back to God, we're just giving back to him something that belongs to him already. I was uh, reminded uh, back in the foyer last week of the contribution was $19,000 plus, I believe, if I'm right about that. That is fantastic, in my opinion. But you know, giving's an individual thing. The contribution could be a million dollars and still what I give not be right. So it's a personal thing. What we give is, is a personal thing. We're to give as we purposed, as we prospered, and as we purposed in our heart. And so with that in mind, if you would bow with me, I'll offer thanks for what God has done for us. 
Our Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful unto you for all the blessings of life, realizing that everything that we have, everything that we are, comes from you. We are thank, thankful for the material blessings that you give us every day, for the food, even the water and the air that we breathe, are, uh, uh, the source is you. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to work and to earn money that we can support not only ourselves, but we can support our families, we can help feed the hungry, and we can support missionaries that teach the gospel to people that have never heard it. So we pray, Father, that as we give back a portion of what you have blessed us with so richly that we might do so in a way that would please you. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Good day, isn't it? Started it off and we ended it well. Um, I'm not going to say too much because y'all know me. I'm a little softy and I'll, I'll go down and won't be able to come back up. So anyway, uh, we had 290 people here today to serve the Lord. Um, we don't have a bulletin, as many of you know, but we do have some things that are going on. Um, we have uh, some sign-ups for some activities that are coming up. I believe uh, they're on the back table. So as you're exiting the building, just swing by there. There's a sign-up for uh, Rush at Freed Hardeman. We've also got some Devo spots for uh, speakers on Wednesday night. So a lot of open spots, a lot of op uh, opportunities. Say just a quick three-minute to five-minute Devo uh, on Wednesday nights. Just sign up. Uh, and we also have some kind of shootout thing going on at the jumpers. Uh, so see uh, Cameron or Jody Long on that, and they will be able to help you. We do seem to have a growing list of uh, uh, sick or people who are um, needing prayers. Uh, one of those is, of course, our uh, elder Larry Morgan following his surgery. Uh, we also have Sue Mason and Martha Eaton. Um, I could go down the list, but I'm going off Wednesday night, so it might be uh, past that point in time. Um, with that all said, uh, let's all stand and uh, let's be dismissed in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you at the end of this service, offering our service up to you and praying that it has been acceptable in your sight. Heavenly Father, as we take these words of wisdom that come from your word, not to look on the vanity of life and, and concern ourselves with it so much, but to look toward you and to look toward your promise, your hope of salvation, your opportunity for restoration, so that as we go through this world, as it is kicking us 
as it is treating us poorly because uh, it just does not have you in its life. Heavenly Father, help us to be the lights of the world so that in the end we can be found faithful with you. And at the end of our prayers that we can say, come quickly. This is our prayer in your son's name. Amen.